0: Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of About to Review. Uh, This episode, as part of the Seattle International Film Festival, or SIF, 2016, uh, I have some guests on the podcast today from the new movie Queen of Ireland, so, I have the director, Connor Horgan, the producer, Katie Holly, and the star of the picture, Rory O'Neill. So, welcome to all of you guys.
1: Thank you. Thank you
0: <laughs> we, we have quite a unique recording setup uh, today in the hotel, so we'll be kind of passing the mic along. So, uh, Katie, who is the producer, uh, if you want to tell us a little bit about what this film is
2: Sure. Well, um, the, it's a film called The Queen of Ireland, which is a feature documentary about the life and times of R- Rory O'Neill, a.k.a. Panty Bliss, who's uh-huh. a, an Irish drag queen extraordinaire and also accidental activist. And um, we've been making the film for about five years. But along the way, it also, we got quite caught up in the uh, marriage equality movement in Ireland. Mm-hmm. So it, it captures not only Rory and Panty's life, but also the, the movement towards marriage equality in Ireland.
0: Excellent. That was actually one of my questions. So you guys were already filming this before that whole movement started.
1: Yeah, we'd been filming for a number of years at that point. And uh, actually what happened before even the marriage equality thing kicked in was that there was this whole scandal at home called Pantygate, which basically gave us in some ways our story and as we were filming Rory was looking at me and look, watching me trying to hide just how thrilled I was at all the trouble that <laughs> right. he gotten into um, but that kind of Ended up feeding into that brought the whole notion of homophobia and what you can say in public and and a huge amount about Irish attitudes towards gay people out into the public discourse a year before the whole marriage equality thing happened. So that became a big part of the story.
0: The Saturday Night Show was that okay? Yeah,
1: gotcha. So that
0: was Connor explaining that part. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So yeah, uh, how about we start with a couple questions for Connor so you can. already handed the mic back. So one of the things that I noticed with this film that I was able to see yesterday, there were some really interesting uses of mirrors throughout the whole film. Hmm. Now, is that something that was coincidental or was it, you know, intentional because I mean, you were around a bunch of people putting on makeup, so I was just wondering if that was a conscious <laughs> choice or
1: if it was just, hey, we were doing makeup there just there were a lot of mirrors in that environment <laughs> uh, you know some you do try and put some kind of visual style into the film, but in a mm-hmm. documentary you're obviously limited in some ways but i did find i didn't find so much that mirrors became this kind of, kind of motif, but certainly there was a lot of kind of very sh- kind of rich and and, and kind of uh, passionate-looking reds in the background. So whenever we found a location, we kind of look for a red, or sometimes we're just going to add something like that in. But, you know, absolutely mirrors is a good motif for uh, for a lot of the things that happen in the movie.
0: Yeah, because I just, I mean, watching it, there was just, even from the beginning, you know, there's a shot of Rory as Panty
1: Bliss, you know, and there were just two different angles. So I yeah. thought that was really clever. We actually built that entire set. And, oh, really? and And had the mirror on an angle so we could get, actually, because... Optics mean you can't actually get a shot of the person and the person in the mirror mm-hmm. unless you actually can angle the mirror a little bit. So that was, there was a little bit of a trick mirror thing going on there.
0: It was, well, it was very clever, and I definitely noticed it. So Thank you. Good job with that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the other thing that we were kind of talking about a little bit before we started recording, uh, I absolutely loved all of the archival footage sure. from when Rory was a child all the way to sure. you know the Tokyo shows. How long did it take to get
1: that footage, and what was that process like? It, it took a long time. It took, it took a very long time. There's, there was not a lot of existing footage of hmm. early parts of the Irish gay scene. There were a couple of kind of magazine programs from the state broadcaster. Nobody had really gone into that world or into the kind of nightclub world and, and taken a lot of pictures. Some, there was a couple of still photographs of kind of key moments in some of the underground clubs that that Rory was involved with that I took myself because I used to go to those clubs. For, really? Oh yeah, absolutely. So I was very glad I still had those pictures. Right. <laughs> um, and uh, then some of the last things that we got were we went down to Ballinrobe, where Rory's from mm-hmm. which is this small little town on the west coast of Ireland and we filmed down there and we got this DVD of all these home movies of Rory So from. those were a later edition? It was- they arrived almost at the very end. We'd been already editing for a number of months at that point and they were just gold. They were just wonderful. Those were, wonderful those were
0: absolutely tremendous because yeah. I think I mean to me one of the things that really makes a documentary feel real is when you have that when you, if you're fortunate enough to have yeah. those old pictures, old video because it reminds you
1: like this happened like this was sure. this person before we are seeing them as they are now and, and also, we got this great, great stuff from Rory and uh, Rory's kind of partner in, in crime, mm-hmm. uh, Angela Patillo, who's actually coming to our screening in, in Seattle this oh, evening, nice. which is great. Coming coming in from um, Ann Arbor, Michigan. So we had the whole evolution of Panty as a drag character from this very young not quite as polished performer, (laughs) 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 Um, but you know, and especially for people at home, like it's great for people who've never come across Panty before, but for people at Mm -hmm. home in Ireland who are very aware of Panty as a performer and as a cultural figure in Ireland to see this kind of early proto Panty, I think was, was a real treat. It
0: was was tremendous. Uh, So last question for Connor, what in particular drew you to this project?
1: Well, I had known Rory for a good 15 or 16 years at that point because I'd done all the photographs for, for the alternative Miss Ireland posters. Okay. So we kind of had a working relationship. And uh, Katie and I had, an, had a great working re- relationship as well. We'd just finished our first feature film, our first drama, and we were sitting down having a coffee going, what, what else can we do next? And she came up with the idea of approaching Rory, so we did.
0: So it was Katie's idea to kind of start this whole project? Absolutely, yeah that is excellent uh, well yeah how about we pass the mic down to the the star the, the well, I have
3: to congratulate you first on, oh. because Connor and I have answered a million questions about um, this movie we've done the old sitting in a hotel room where they come in one mm-hmm. after another and you're the first person ever to ask this the mirror question so wow. congratulations you win a prize yes
0: <laughs> I have no idea what that, that is but yeah, that is, yeah thank you um and that comes from, I mean, a little bit about me. Like, I come from a photography and kind of theater background. So when I see things that catch my eye, it is just something that, yeah, I, the whole movie they're just very interesting. You says when you were, uh, as I'm pointing to Rory, no one else can see that. Um, at one point, you were at your family home. Yes, yeah. And you're sitting at your mother's old vanity. Yeah. Getting ready, and there's this huge, you know, mirror right up front, and you were talking about. You remember watching her get ready. Yeah. And then you were, and so. Yeah, it was just—it was—it was tremendous, and it was very evocative of, you know, like, this is a full circle. Yeah,
3: like, um, it, um people often ask me about what do I like about the movie or whatever, and uh-huh. I will say that I, I can never tell if it's any good or not. I'm assuming it is, because other people all love it. But I'm sort of too close to it, you know, I can't right. be objective about it. But the parts that I really like and the part that I think I'm really lucky to have on film is the parts where we go back to Ballinrobe County Mayo, because I think... um. You know, well, first of all, you know, I'm very lucky with my family, and they really loved that when the circus came to town to our little tiny village. (laughs) You know, and um, and also just to have all that tape for posterity, sort of. I think I'm lucky to have that, and um,
0: so that's you know that's the part of the movie I like best. Excellent. So now to. To your questions and, or to your to your questions, what would you like to ask me? <laughs> yeah. <Did> my questions <laughs> are, are you, you? single? <laughs> because I don't know if they know, but you're quite huge. Oh, why, thank yeah. you. Uh, I actually have not put up any pictures of myself on social media. Oh, you sh- you should. So,
1: <laughs> thank you for that.
0: Um, so Rory describes Panty, his his alter ego, as the glamorous aunt plus Jessica Rabbit, and so that definitely, I mean, that was really nice to to see kind of that perspective. Uh, one of the things that you said, Rory, in the film is that as a drag queen, you have to be the producer, the director, the writer, the actor, just everything, part and parcel. What was it like working you know, with Connor on this project? I just found out that you guys have known each other for many years. Yeah. What was it like, kind of, was it a- were you able to kind of step back and let other people just kind of roll with it? Um, I think, you know... W-
3: I, 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 so I often say that thing about drag queens having to be everything you know, mm-hmm. because that is the way it generally is in the club scene you know you 're your own producer and director <laughs> right. and, you know lighting person you 're doing it all and, and, and certainly when the drag queen is out and about in a club or something you know um, it, you have to do it all you 're doing it all yourself whatever um, of course, then there are times when you 're working on other projects where that isn 't the case. And obviously in this case, I'm sitting beside the person who produced it and the right. who directed it. Um, so there's that. Uh, I'm slightly used to that, though, because you know, really my first love and continuing love is the live theater shows. Mm-hmm. And in those, you have to work with other people. There is a producer yep. and there's a director, too. And, um, but certainly for me, I can't do it unless I really like and trust the people, mm-hmm. um, which is why I ended up doing the documentary with these guys, because I'd been asked to do documentaries many times before, hmm. but I'd never said yes to anybody before because I, I didn't know them, right. you know, and, and, well, and I couldn't work a... with somebody but I didn't know or trust them because you're, yeah. you're, you're really putting yourself in their hands in Absolutely. a way. Um, and also you have to spend a lot of time with them. So if you didn't like them or you, <laughs> are, are you, you didn't know them and then discovered you don't like them, yeah.
0: you know... You had five years of working <laughs> yes, with them.
3: <laughs> it would be really quite the chore, you know. So, um... So, I agreed to do it with these guys because I did know them and trust them, you know? Mm-hmm. And I didn't know Katie so well in the very beginning, but we had lots of friends in common, and I trusted those friends not to like somebody right. who was a horrible bitch. <laughs> 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 and, they, you know, my instincts proved to be right. So, yeah. That is good. Yeah. I mean, yeah,
0: you definitely have a point. Working with people that you do not, especially with a project so intimate.
3: Yeah, like, like and people often ask what it like to have you know them following you around, you know, for such a long period. Well I, of course because as the nature of documentary filming making and everything, money's hard to come by for it. Right. So there was long periods where I never saw them anyway. But but then on top of that, because I knew them you know, it didn't feel like there was a director following my every move, right? Because I'm I knew Connor, so it just felt like Connor's here. You know, mm-hmm. so that just made it just easier, you know, more pleasant than than it might have been. You know?
0: yeah. If it was someone random yeah. following around, taking yeah. pictures, doing video, always wanting a sound bite, yeah. When it was just hanging out with your friend, yeah. That, excellent. Um, one of the things that, that I found interesting when they were showing the archival footage, which was again tremendous. Is that you did not walk until you were around two years old because yes. you were constantly surrounded by people and they would they would pick you up same thing happened to me when I was a kid. I have two older sisters, yeah, and I was a cute, fat baby, and so I never needed to walk, okay. and so people would just pick me up, and so when I saw that in the film, it was instantly relatable well yeah because it's one of those things that it's kind of just it's part of the family
3: mythology you know in mm-hmm. you know, my family that i didn't walk until i was older than two and right. my mother had gotten the doctor because <laughs> she thought something wrong you know but and my brothers and sisters you know always the joke is always that i was just
0: lazy you know uh, right yeah but family will always think that yeah you know um so i was fascinated by your journey out of robe. i hope i'm am i pronouncing that right that's right yeah all right hey, there we go out of Ballinrobe, kind of to get out of the small town, you know, you went to London, you know, first, and then you ended up in Tokyo, which Mm -hmm. was kind of the birth of your drag career. So I, I had no idea that Tokyo and that was in the eighties, early
3: nineties, early nineties. Yeah. I went to Tokyo in 1919.
0: So yeah, I, I had no idea that there was that type of scene there, but what are some of the most memorable moments from your time specifically in a place like Tokyo? Um,
3: God, it would be hard to pick, you know, one particular one or whatever. But um, oh, we have all the time in the world. Yeah, <laughs> pick your top ten. Well, well, when I went there, I didn't have any intentions of doing drag. I had done drag before I went there, um, but in a sort of haphazard fashion. But one of the very first people that I met there um, was an American drag queen. Okay, and um, and he was not planning to be doing drag there either. But we hit it off straight away. You know, we got on immediately. And um, so we and we ended up the first time we did it we just did it for the laugh there, right. um, But yeah, that's how all these things start, isn't it? Um, anyway, so then we ended up doing drag, you know, having sort of this drag double act there, and our sort yeah. of our selling point was that we were foreign. You know, that's what made oh, us different, okay. you know, on, on that scene. Um, God, that, there was that a lot was of.
0: The, the
3: Candy and Panty? Candy Panty. We used to call ourselves, right. yeah. Um, well, her, His drag name actually was Lurleen Wallace. Right. Uh, <laughs> um, and mine was Letitia. Um, mm-hmm. But of course, Japanese people, they don't have the L sound or the R sound, and they can't hear the difference between them, and they can never remember them. So, so they could mm-hmm. never remember our name. So Candy Panty was just meant to be like a silly, fun group name, you know. Right. Uh, but we. Then they started calling us Candy and Panty. Anyway, so that ended up seems stuck. to have worked out. Yes, you know you, it's that, you've built a drag brand. Panty Bliss, it's awful, and it gives a, you know, the wrong impression of what I do. People think I'm some sort of sex act or something. <laughs> right. You know, um, so I would never have chosen it, but it you know, chose it's you. memorable. People don't forget it, and you know, I, yeah, I'm stuck with it. Um, anyway, so we had a wild time. We were in our twenties, running around Tokyo. Um, which is a pretty wild town, if you know where to look. And um, right. and we had a pretty wild time. So there's lots of really fun things. But um, we, we did for a long time, we had a residency at this giant, what I call a bubble economy club, you know, because at the time Japan was having this huge bubble economy, mm-hmm. you, you know, money f- everywhere. And it was this gigantic club, and and we used to work up in the VIP area sometimes, and um, that's sort of one of my best memories, because the VIP area, you would go up in the elevator, and the door would open, and you were standing on a suburban street, Tokyo Suburban Street, (laughs) with this fully, perfectly replicated suburban family Japanese house there and you would go in and there was like a little garden space outside with like the kids bicycles lying in the grass (laughs) and then you would go in and there was a mother a, a, a grandfather and two children living in the house um and they were essentially the staff in a sense, and you could go and hang out in the kids' room and play, you know, uh, video games with them, or you could, you know, sit in the living room with granddad. But you know, they would be getting you beers, and you know, right. And so you're in this perfect replica, down to the tiniest detail, of a suburban family house with this family, you you know, living right. in it. I'm putting air quotes air around quotes, family, right. you know, and, and that was the VIP area. And, and it isn't. just seems so, it, it, it embodied so much about Tokyo, you know, what is so crazy about Tokyo, what is mm-hmm. fabulously nuts about Tokyo, what is also, at the time, what the kind of money they had to just do these kind of things. So, um, yeah, I'll definitely, on my deathbed,
0: I'll still be remembering, you know, that. that yeah, that sounds pretty fascinating. And... The looks on Connor and Katie's faces as you're telling that story. Had you guys? Yeah, I can't ever believe I never that? told you that. I was before. like, the look on that. They were like, wait, I, I we just spent five, go, six years of you filming <laughs> hey. this documentary. Yeah. We have never heard this story. <laughs> I can't believe we didn't tell you that before. So yeah. there, there's an about to review exclusive, you know, right there. <laughs> yeah, that that definitely sounds unique. Yeah, and that was in the VIP area. That.
3: Yes, like up on the seventh floor or whatever, you know, the other floors were just as wild in their own ways, but I just liked that whole thing. Yeah, because some
0: of the footage from there, you talk about, you'd go up on stage and people would end up just coming up on the stage and it turned out, it seemed to be, it turned out out to be less of a performance and you guys would just be dancing with (laughs) a stage full of people. (laughs) Yes, well, that just happened
3: to be the footage that they got, yeah. Yeah. well, you know, Tokyo was a wild place. And, I, you know, I was at the height of my wildness at the time, too, you know, shoving everything into me, you know. Right. Um, so we were having a great time. And um, it's an easy town to have a great ta- time in. And, of course, at the time, you know, because we were these you know, Western mm-hmm. drag queens, that was our, you know, USP, if you want to put it that way. And, you know, and, and the kids loved that about us, that we were foreign, you know. So, so did they
0: have their own strong drag scene that you guys kind of came yes and they have
3: their own sort of aesthetic i mean they have a a different attitude to drag than we do in the sense that you know for example in you know traditional japanese theater Mm -hmm. and that there are men who are you know renowned and revered actors who only play female roles so they have a different sort of they come at it from a slightly Mm -hmm. different angle than we do um but they the drag scene there You know, it's very much the sort of club kid aesthetic, you know, where they're gluing ping pong balls to their faces or. Of course, why would you not? You know, all that kind of stuff. Um, So it was very different than the kind of, you know, drag that we were doing, Mm -hmm. which was, you know, partly influenced by this other sort of southern glamour girl American drag aesthetic. Yeah, and partly influenced, um, you know, by drug addiction. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Just being a mess. You know, I guess we were doing, what we were doing was some sort of ironic take on the classic drag um,
0: yeah, and okay. in the 90s.
3: That seemed fresh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, speaking of classic drag, so on the West Coast of the United States, you know, we had clubs or have clubs like Darcells mm-hmm. in Portland. Uh, there's one called Finocchio's in San Francisco that has been doing female impersonation mm-hmm. shows since... Pinocchio's was started in like the 40s, yeah, and then Darcel's is still going on. That started in the 70s. Mm-hmm. In Ireland, when you were growing up, or when you yeah. started entering the scene, what exposure to those did you have, or was there any?
3: Pretty much none. Um, there is a drag tradition in Ireland, but it comes from a der- very different place. We have what we call the Panto Dane. Um, a, p- a Panto is a traditional uh, Christmas. Uh, time, uh, musical, comedy, theatre thing okay. uh, aimed at children. And they've been going on for hundreds of years. And if you go to the UK or Ireland at Christmas time, every single theatre has a panto on. And they're all based on the classic fairy tales. And they're all written every year. Each theatre writes its own every year. But they're all based on one of the classic fairy tales. So it might be Aladdin or Sleeping mm-hmm. Beauty or whatever. Um, but they're written each year to have contemporary references.
0: Interesting. And, and they'll take contemporary pop
3: songs and all of Ireland and all of the UK. It's a oh, tradition. Wow. And um, yeah, because it always, it's always gobsmacking to us that Americans don't know what a pantomime is because we just grew up with these things.
0: Like I know what pantomime is, but like this whole genre. Yeah, of it's theater. a total
3: genre. And, and there, are, there are classic elements that must be included. So they do things like they'll, they'll put in the pop songs of the days. It's aimed at kids, but mm-hmm. they want to entertain the kids' parents as well. Okay. Because they want the whole family to come, and they're huge money makers for theaters. There's lots of theaters really? that wouldn't survive without them. And they run all through November and December, and you know, into the early part of January. And um, and within the, this sort of formalized structure, you know, say you know the fairy tale, mm-hmm. um, and these sort of modern references to keep them fresh or whatever. There are these, you know things that have to happen and so one of them is that there has to be a guy dressed as a woman called the panto dame and he's usually plays the sort of the wildest loudest nuttiest character um and there are sort of small uh, there's often um a girl playing the boy hero okay um
0: now is that part of the quote-unquote rules
3: kind of yeah yeah, yeah, yeah yeah um and then they have all of these um, things that my our grandparents to our parents to us to our nieces and nephews we all know. So they have these call and responses. So at one point the hero will always be standing facing the crowd while the evil person is behind them, and the kids all scream, "He's behind you, behind you!" And then the the, wow. the hero will turn around just as the evil person disappears mm-hmm. and thinks, you know, and says, "He's not there," you know, and this kind of stuff. Right. And the evil kid the, the evil character will always say you know things out into the audience oh you 're a bad person' and the kids will all scream back, "Oh no she 's not and then the bad person will, say, "Oh yes, he is you know so there 's all of these huh. things that have to be in it mm-hmm. and and the panto dame is one of them, and that 's the how most people at home um, that's that 's the, the exposure. <laughs> of the drag and that drag is traditionally really over the top with giant drawn on makeup saucepan lids for hats you know (laughs) all this kind of nuttery and then so at home our drag tradition is sort of partly that very theater based very Mm -hmm. over the top and then of course the gay pub tradition drag you know um guy with the beer belly and a marilyn monroe wig you know singing you know the the broadway standards (laughs) you know of course (laughs) And, and um and, of course, over the years, it changes. And if you go into a gay club in, in, in Dublin now, it's sort of developed its own kind of thing. But they are the basic influences from which our drag comes from, which is different than here in the U.S., where it comes out of pageantry and, and all that. Yeah. So um, the, the, the there, are, there are crossovers and, and there are similarities, but there's also some real differences in the kind of drag that we do. So when I was a kid, no, I'd never seen a drag queen except for... Danny LaRue, who was a very famous mm-hmm. drag queen, um, in the 1970s he was the the highest paid entertainer on British television, and oh, um, he had his own shows. He had a long running show, on, you know, on the West End for years in one of the biggest theatres. So, so in the sort of UK and uh, Irish tradition, there has always been a famous drag queen.
0: And um, just it, one, it,
3: yes, no. yeah, you know, one that sort of broke through in some way, like the Highlander rules. Yeah, kind one, of. You know? um, Lily Savage. You might have heard of her vaguely familiar. in the eighties and nineties. Lily Savage was the big TV drag queen. Um, so, now, so our a, tradition is different right. th- th- than the North American tradition, but there is a, a drag tradition. It's just different. Now, is
0: there kind of a a competing? You know, if there was the one, you know, again going with Highlander reference. Uh, Going with, like, the one UK drag queen at the time. Mm -hmm. Then you have someone like RuPaul, who started, you know, here in the 80s, really, was when, you know, becoming a huge figure. I was was actually
3: in Japan doing drag when Supermodel was a hit. Okay. Yeah, like, I I remember it so clearly, Um, the sort of the 90s drag explosion, yeah.
0: What was it like being in Tokyo at that time, seeing that it was exploding on one side of the pond? Yeah. Were you kind of waiting for it to take over the rest? Yeah, well, because what
3: happens with with drags and anything else, it goes through cycles of fashionability or popularity, and the last really big. You know, explosion was that time in the nineties. You know, mm-hmm. RuPaul, you know, supermodel, really sparked it off. But there was a period there then during the nineties where drag queens were getting work all the time. Every club wanted a drag queen hanging mm-hmm. out of the rafters. Every corporate launch had your know, drag queens, you know, handing out the hors d'oeuvres. You know, and that the canopies, an whatever. Interesting
0: corporate event to go to. <laughs>
3: and then, and then, of course, it all goes out of fashion for right. a while. And then, and in a way, I think it's more comfortable in those periods. You know, and the sort of the old queens like myself, whatever, just plod along, continuing doing what we we'll all was doing and then it comes more fashionable again. of course at the moment thanks to rupaul's drag race it's having this huge you know explosion where drag is everywhere but you know give it another three or four years and it'll be you know won't be so fashionable again and and to be honest i'm slightly looking forward to that period really (laughs) yeah i think it's more comfortable being more underground yeah Um, some of
0: the stories you talked about you know in you know dublin or in ireland when you know people talk about underground clubs like they were literally underground. Yeah. You know, yeah. you'd be looking up at people's shoes as they were walking. Yeah, down in the basements, so, you know. It was so secretive, it yep. was so clandestine and there is some safety in that. There, There is some security in that. There's
3: also a sort of an excitement in that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously this film is concerned in many ways with the marriage equality uh, mm-hmm. uh, stuff um, and I'm, of course, all for that and, you know, Fought okay. hard for it, but at the same time, I'm also wary of it because I, you know, I don't want to assimilate. I don't want the gays to have, to, you know, to be all wanting to go off and move to the suburbs and get married and settle down. You know. Um, so, all, you know, so I'm all for marriage equality because I see it as an equality issue. And if if the gays want to be you know, as boring as everybody else and get married and, you know, get a chocolate Labrador, well, then they should be allowed. Good. Good for them. But, but I would hope that they don't that they won't all want that. I would hope that lots of them will want to go, you know, shagging boys from morning till night and, you know, going off and living on an island, you know, in a <laughs> naked commune or whatever, you know, right. you know, like I want more opportunities, not less you know.
0: Gotcha. Uh, before I move on to one of my last questions, uh, kind of going back to, you know, the scene on the West Coast and your time in Tokyo, if you could perform in any venue, in any time period, as Panty, where would it be and why?
3: God, that's a big question. Um, God, I think I'd quite like to maybe go back to the Globe and Shakespeare's Day or something. Wow. Because, okay. well, because I grew, I, I come out of the, um, you know, These days, you know, it's all performing in theaters and all that, Mm -hmm. but I I came out of the sort of the rough-and-ready dirty club scene and right. sometimes i look at the globe theater you know shakespeare's globe and that and you know the, the down in the pits feels to me like the grotty clubs you know it was the you know, the street people and all of that the, the ones who played a, you know whatever throwing raw vegetables at performers they didn't like or whatever and to me that's you know i'm 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 good with that i've i've performed in front of drunks you know for many right. years <laughs> and then up above you know they had the rich people were in were higher up mm-hmm. and 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 most of Shakespeare's stuff is written on two levels there are the sort of the 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 crass jokes about sex and all the broad Mm -hmm. humor and you know and the silly sword fights which is all playing to the gallery these ones Mm -hmm. down here but then he's also having sort of high-minded themes and political stuff which is which is supposed to be played upwards to the you know to the the rich folk and i think that's a fun way that's the way every show should be it should have something for everybody so I, i think i'd be happy there (laughs)
0: <laughs> um, all the way back to the globe. No, yeah. That was great. That, that was an unexpected response, which which was great. Um, so, how did it feel then to become, you know, because Pantygate kind of happened while you were already working on this documentary? Mm-hmm. How did it feel to become such a major symbol in this marriage equality movement? You know, Katie mentioned earlier, kind of that accidental activist. Mm-hmm.
3: Um, well, it's funny. I think, um, you know. Yeah, Panty sort of became some sort of symbol for sort of a quality. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it was in a way it's easy to turn a drag queen, oddly, into a sort of a symbol or an avatar because because, uh, because she doesn't come with all the baggage of a real person. So okay. I don't think you could have made Rory the face of you know of a campaign because Rory... You know has all the baggage you know i have you know ex-boyfriends who are annoyed at me and you know i have a sister who's pissed off that i forgot her birthday or whatever right. but panty has none of that you know panty doesn't crack you know what i mean right, you know right. so it's and she's already a kind of a cartoon you know so i think it's quite easy in a way to, to make her a symbol of something do i think it's sort of surprising and hilarious that ireland <laughs> chose a drag queen to <laughs> right. be that symbol yes i think that's really surprising and Brilliantly fun of them, um yeah. Whimsical. But, yeah, yeah but but it was also totally accidental, you know, it was just a, a bizarre combination of happy accidents nice, yes,
0: yeah, absolutely but
2: i but I also don't think you can underestimate the power of the noble call. that speech, like if anyone hasn't actually seen it, it's really right. worthwhile checking out on on youtube it was it was something that we knew the day of, I think that, that Rory was going to be going down to the Abbey Theatre and making the speech. And it was a response to what had happened on the Saturday night show. And Connor was like, well, maybe we should go down and film it. And, you know, we got it up online the next day, but it's just, it's an incredibly powerful speech. And mm-hmm. you can see from the number of views and the number of advocates and, you know, people sharing it. It was, it's a really incredible thing. So I think that, that had a lot to do with that and I think deservedly so.
0: And do you think, uh, actually, no, Katie, you can hold on to it. Uh, <laughs> do you think, you know, as Panty, that that would ha- that it was kind of a it was delivered in a easier way to digest than if it were Rory coming on stage.
2: I don't know if that's a question for me. <laughs> you know, with your decision. Um, I, I think I think it could have been either, to be honest, you mm-hmm. know, I think Panty was was already, you know, people were very aware of of, of Panty from um, various prides. And you'll see in the film, there's, you know, footage from a pride, I think, in 2009, where, mm-hmm. you know, she's already kind of calling out um, gay people in particular to kind of get active on the issue of marriage equality. So um, I think it was not an issue for people for it to be kind of delivered by by Panty. Excellent.
3: Well, I would say that um, I am aware that if Panty is speaking to an audience that isn't very used to drag and mm-hmm. the night of that speech um, it was being done in the National Theatre to an audience who had come to see you know, a show at the National Theatre mm-hmm. this was sort of an add-on so um, I'm aware that sometimes an audience that's not very familiar with drag queens can sometimes find it hard to see past the drag they think everything you say is just going to be a bawdy joke about tits or something mm-hmm. so if you do look at that speech, the first few minutes of the speech, I'm saying really nothing. I'm just making a few you know, remarks, and it's to give the audience a few minutes a to get used to me, yeah, exactly. to just sort of ask all the questions about whether my boobs are real and my hair and all that stuff. Yeah, and then I tell them what I want to hear. Um, so I'm aware that there was, I was aware at the time that you need to make some adjustments mm-hmm. um, if you're going to do it in drag. But I think in the end, the drag made it more powerful because the drag actually sort of reinforced or reflected what I was actually talking about Um and and also visually, it, mm-hmm. it works well because the uh, the cast members of the show are standing behind yep. Panty, and they're all dressed as these downtrodden workers, right. you know, from the <laughs> yeah. 19- it was quite
0: the, the dichotomy, yeah, you know, between that
3: and this sort of shiny blonde drag queen standing in front of them. So I think it helped. I think the drag actually amplified what I wanted to say. But I was aware that in order for it to work, I'd have to make a few accommodations. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And yeah, the movie. I mean, it has you know so much humor. In it, you know, even though, you know, the the central core of it, you know, kind of what it became, you know, is about this marriage equality issue, but the balance between Rory and Panty in the film is very very well handled. So, yeah, I definitely commend Connor, you know, for for doing that because again, in a documentary like this, where you kind of have to analyze it as two separate people, um, you know, as two separate people, then. You know, it is important to have that balance. And so that was... It was nice to kind of be watching this as if it were two separate characters sharing this mutual interest.
1: Absolutely. That's how we approach it, as the two separate characters. And as Rory often says, Panty is great at front of house. You know, Panty is Mm -hmm. always on. Panty is always camera ready. Right. (laughs) Rory, not so much. (laughs) Um, And, you know, people are saying, wow, it took you all these years to, to do this thing. But in some ways... I think that that really paid off. And we Mm -hmm. did a number of interviews with Rory and some, you know, right from the very early ones we did in 2010 up until two weeks before the marriage equality referendum. And what happened in all of that time is I think, you know, Rory just got kind of more and more comfortable with us and more and more um, just kind of willing to just show... Rory as a person, as well as Panty, and that really came through. So it was, yeah. it was, it was all, it was all worth it. It was all worth very worthwhile.
0: Yeah, because the the vulnerability in sure. in both characters,
1: yeah, you know, was, was well
0: represented. Yeah. Um, and then how we pass it back to Rory down there. One of the one of my favorite moments in the film uh, is showing how much footage there was of your family. You know, modern day. Mm-hmm. You know, those newer imagery because seeing seeing your parents and how how excited and elated your mother was you know at this performance was incredible because you know you kind of always wonder in you know part of the editing process when you're getting ready for that show and you were like okay I cannot do this joke or tell this story because my mom is going to be there yeah. but the stories you do tell in that and she is just she is crying laughing she is just having the time of her life mm-hmm. so and how kind of how quickly was that acceptance, you know, them. did it take that same kind of thing, like with the audience at the National Theatre, that little bit of a buffer or...
3: Yeah, I mean, obviously you know, sometimes people say, oh, God, what's your parents think, you know, having a drag queen for a son, and I always say, well, actually they don't have a drag queen for a son. They have Rory for a son who happens to be, work as a drag queen, you know, so they sort of see it differently. Um, But, you know, when I was first doing drag, whatever, 20 or something years ago, and trying to explain to them it was just so far out of their world that they just right. didn't really understand it or get it and they've come to shows I remember they came to one of my first theater shows when we and it it went to a, a town nearer them and mm-hmm. they sort of came to see that And then another year I brought them to the Alternative Miss Ireland, which is a giant, raucous, rowdy, wild event. (laughs) And, you know, they sort of sat there in the middle of all of that. But again, it was they just didn't understand what was really happening, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. it was all just too much or something. But, of course, then they've had a lot of years to sort of slowly get their head around what I do for a living. And in a way, like this sort of I was saying about audiences, it took them a while to... To see past, Mm -hmm. you know, the wigs and the makeup part, and what am I actually doing? And that's also why, you know, it's been lovely, I think, for them the last few years. um, When you know, all you know, I think it's probably not easy having me for a son (laughs) and, and turning up with all sorts of things from being gay to having HIV to all you know to being a drag queen. All these things, you know, when you're a Couple of nice Irish parents from a small or town in the west of, of Ireland. <laughs> you know, it's just so. It's a lot, um, but I think in the last few years after. You know, probably after many years of wondering, what the hell is our son doing with his life? You know, when it all sort of turned out okay. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, at this stage in Ireland, Panty has become very establishment, you know. Mm. And they get that. Like, when I, you know, when you're getting an honorary doctorate from Trinity College, Dublin, my parents understand what that is. Wow. You know, so for me, the last years has been really nice. Um because they finally get it and they Mm -hmm. see that everybody else gets it and now I get to bring them to nice events you know not just ones where people are blowing glitter out of their ass or whatever but to like proper events you know it's nice for them and and they've become sort of a little famous in their own right you know they get letters from around the world now and, and people stop them in the street and and so it's been lovely for them and lovely for me to see that happen yeah
0: seeing how supportive they were i mean again just added to the film's character and added Mm. to the film's emotional impact Mm. so and one of the things also with with your attitude your humbleness in the face of oppression was incredibly admirable um at one point in the film you know you have people asking you you know what did you what do you think about the people who voted no against this Mm. and you could have said a lot of things. You might have been thinking a lot of things, who knows. But taking the high road and just being like, they voted that now. Maybe a few years down the road, you know, they will think differently. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it, it was, your humbleness was very, was very visible. Oh, well, thank you, I guess. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but uh, my parents, you know, w- you know would, would have expected me in that situation to be nice. So mm-hmm. I was nice. <laughs>
0: And you were. (laughs) Uh, Well, yeah, I think that is it kind of for for my questions. Uh, Thank you, all all three of you guys. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: (laughs) So the film is Queen of Ireland. It is playing uh, right now in the Seattle International Film Festival. Uh, Do you guys have some distribution... As the mic goes to Katie.
2: Yeah, um, we just signed with the sales agent recently, so he's working currently on um, North American distribution. Excellent. Um, The next uh, festival and territory where it's going to get released in is in Australia, so it's going to be playing the Sydney Film Festival at the end of the month, and then it's getting a theatrical release there during the summer.
0: Excellent. So definitely check out this film uh, wherever you can find it. If you need to fly down to Australia to go see it, (laughs) uh, go see it. Uh, You can find uh, Rory on Twitter at PantyBliss, um, and Connor, are you
1: are you on Twitter? Yeah, Connor Horgan on Twitter and Katie Holly on Twitter. So we're all on Twitter. Yeah, so yeah, and all very simple, straightforward Twitter handles. Yeah,
0: which, which is tough to do these days.
3: Yes, but well, we're early adopters.
0: Yeah, <laughs> nice. Uh, and as for the podcast, you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at About to Review. Uh, if you have questions for these lovely filmmakers send them to them on their respective twitter handles you can also send me any questions to about to review at gmail.com again the film queen of ireland thank you rory thank you connor thank you katie and we will see you next time